Good to see you. Hey, we'll be in uh, Judges chapter 9. So as you make your way there, I'll set the scene for some of you that haven't been tracking with us on Wednesday night. <clears throat> chapter 9 comes after chapter 8. <laughs> Guys up to date? Perfect. We have Gideon, or Jerubbabel, as he's called sometimes here in this book. Um, that judge that instrument that God used to deliver his people from the oppression of the Midianites, having just died. So Gideon just died. And the people of Israel, it says at the end of chapter eight, slipped back into a very comfortable pattern or cycle of harlotry, and they started to worship false god Baal. The last couple verses in chapter eight says something like this. After Gideon died, Israel forgot and remembered not the Lord their God. And they treated Gideon, his servant, his judge, not with loving kindness for all of his good deeds. That's the landscape that we enter into chapter nine is a group of people who have forgotten God. And, and we're treating God's people poorly. That's never a good spot to start, right? Forgetting God. And it's not like they forgot that Jehovah, Yahweh was there. It's like they forgot or neglected God's presence in their life. They ignored God. And they treated his people poorly in Gideon. It's never a very good spot to start and we got off to a bad start here at the end of eight, and it just gets worse in chapter nine because of the landscape that we have right now. The fundamental problem of forgetting God is it's just you, and that's all you got. And if you haven't figured this one out yet, you're in a world of hurt. It's a path of destruction, of depression, and in this cycle of this book, a very familiar cycle, oppression. It opens the gate here for another oppressor. God sends another oppressor from within. His name is Abimelech. Abimelech, you might remember, is the son of the concubine of Gideon, who she lived in Shechem. This is the, really the story of an oppressor of Israel named Abimelech. It's really his rise and his fall, over 57 verses, so we have a lot of work to cover. But I wanna weave in two big lessons as we go about this. The first half of this book is what I call the problem with ambition. And we'll see that in Bilmelech, he had evil ambition. So we wanna remember that in the first 21 verses as we go through, the problem with ambition. And then the second half of this is nothing more, in my opinion, of seeing God's divine judgment teaching us the principle of <laughs> the reality of reaping what you sow. It's real. It's real. And I know most of us know that already, but it's kind of a narrative that proves those two lessons. You ready for it? Yep. Okay, all right. Come on, it's Wednesday night. This is how Christians party right here, right now in Judges 9. This is as good as it gets. 
No, it's not. I'm glad to be with you, and we are going to get after this. 57 verses. Let's go, okay? Abimelech. And let me just tell you, I told my wife, I was trying to read through this story a bunch of times to get comfortable with it. And I was like, honey, do you want to hear what I'm, want to hear the story in Judges chapter 9? <laughs> Here's a little secret. I barely read Judges, let alone teach it, okay? So Judges was new to me, so I have to read it a lot. I'm with you guys. I'm learning as I go. And I told her the story just in layman's terms. She goes, man, that's messed up. That's like, she said, I, th- I thought we had it bad now. This is crazy. It's like a Jerry Springer show, but with blood and guts. <laughs> Check it out. Here we go. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say it to the ears of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Verse three, and his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf to the ears of all the leaders of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Balbareth and with which Abimelech hired, I love this, worthless and reckless and empty fellows. (laughs) have any friends like that, who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest of the sons of Jerubbabel, left, for he was hidden. And all the leaders of Shechem came together and on Beth Milo, And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. That's six verses. And one of the major problems, this is is Abimelech, who not only has ambition, but he has evil ambition. He has an overheated ambition, a win-at-all-cost ambition. It's an ambition that lacked character, And if you caught it, it's proven by money and murder, right? Right? He took money from the temple of Baal. That's probably not good, right? If you're supposed to be following God. And he also took that money and he hired worthless henchmen, empty people that just had nothing else to do. And they went to his father's house in Oprah in that city, took 70 of his brothers, grabbed them, held them down on one stone, one by one, and Abimelech cut the heads off of all of his brothers. That's dirty, ugly business. Again, we shoot people in the society. They die pretty quickly for the most part. That would have taken a good portion of a day to cut 70 heads off. That's horrible murder. Money and murder, evil ambition, because he thirsted for power and wanted to be the king. And that's one thing we have to realize about ambition. Does it have character or not? There's nothing wrong with having drive, people. But when it starts to be out of character of what's in this book, you better be careful. You better throttle it back a little bit. It's not win at all cost, whatever it takes. That's not how we do things as Christians or as God's people, Amen. A couple other notes about ambition, especially evil ambitions. Ambition will lie. 
it'll exaggerate. Did you notice this? What, remember what he said is to the relatives? Would you rather me be your king or would you rather be ruled by 70 people? Do you want 70 politicians or just one? That's a lie. I didn't know the 70 people, the brothers were on the ballot. Did you read that anywhere? I sure didn't. He brought up a false narrative, exaggerated the situation so they would force them to make a choice. He lied and exaggerated. He spoke in hyperbole. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. I like a good fight just as like anybody else. <laughs> but make sure it's a real fight. That it's a narrative that's, you're not just swinging at the air. He about ready to start a war with God Almighty right here. And he does it on the premise of hyperbole. No one was talking about 70 brothers ruling Israel at this point. We were a long ways from there. So it started on a lie. Be careful. Be careful about ambition and making it us versus them. Do you know why so many politicians, you catch them in lies? You know the Pinocchio ratings they have? It's because they speak in hyperbole. Because it fits their narrative. They always make it us versus them. And that gets frustrating as a pawn in the game of life, which we all are here, if you don't hold office. It gets, and that's what's happening here. I don't like that. It's one of the problems with ambition. The other one, ambition will manipulate. Did you notice how Abimelech went to his relatives? He didn't stay in Oprah where his brothers, right, and Gideon's family was. He went to his mom's place. He was the son of a concubine who lived in Shechem. He went to his mama and he said to his half-brothers or whoever was his relatives, and said, listen, I'm your flesh and your bone. It's probably that same mama who gave him the name, right, Abimelech. Remember what it means from last week? It's the son of the king. Jeroboam wasn't a king. That sounds like a proud mama. So, sounds like Abimelech and his overheated evil ambition knew how to manipulate people. You ever get pressure from relatives? It's rough, isn't it? If your relative <laughs> has evil ambition, just say no. You know who else had relatives? Hitler. <laughs> Right? Lots of bad people had relatives. So have the power. These two, he really manipulated the situation. The other thing that ambition, one of the problems will be is that, did you notice how quickly ambition, evil ambition, found a partner? The men or the, the leaders of Shechem? Listen, they made him king before and after the murders. Right out, they saw what happened. They said, hey, you know what, we're going to follow him because he's our flesh and blood. They gave him some money, some evil money. <laughs> they saw what he did and said, yeah, okay, let's take him down by the oak here. Let's make him king. See how easy, evil, evil kind of partners here. It finds a partner. So we need to be careful, I think, with evil ambition. Be careful. And Bimelech starts his power grab with some subtle ambition and it's to be noted, as we go on, you might have noticed there's a guy named Jotham, the youngest brother of all of the brothers, right, of, of Gideon's sons, who hid himself and didn't get murdered. Check it out in verse 7. He stands up and be counted. When it was told to Jotham, 
he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried out loud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. What a bold little brother. I like Jotham. He stands up and says, listen. He goes up on Mount Gerizim, who is, is the same spot of, this would be a spot, if you remember in uh, Joshua's day, that they, they blessed half the tribes of Israel there for following the law, the law of Moses. Same place of blessing now is gonna be coming a spot of curse. Watch this. Jotham is having none of this. He is a very good son and brother. He stands up and he's counted for. Listen to what he says to them. He starts by telling them a parable or a story. It's the parable of the trees. He tells them a story about the leader they just picked. Check it out. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go out and sway over trees? And so the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. And the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold, and go hold sway over all these trees? So the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Interesting little story. This is Jotham on a mountain crying out to the leaders who endorsed and were complicit in the murder of his family in the name of the scoundrel Abimelech. He said, listen, I'm gonna tell you a story. And it's about the leader you just picked. And you picked a bramble. You picked something worthless that can't even produce shade. And I want to pick out two things from this parable that you might find obvious and interesting. One, these candidates for leaders, there was an olive tree, right? There was a fig tree, and there was a, a grapevine. All of those leaders, except the bramble, the one that they settled on, which is Abimelech, produced something. They produced fruit, they actually did something, right? The olive tree produced fatness or abundance or oil that was precious in those days. The fig produced sweet fruit. The vine, give them wine. They all had some worth, some value. Abimelech is what he's saying. He's a bramble. <laughs> he's not gonna produce anything for you. He can't even produce shade. He's the brambleman, <laughs> That's what he's saying. The other thing you might want to note, and this is a dandy when you're picking leaders, and Jotham was right on it. Do you notice that the leaders in the story, the trees, that were the most deserving, that produced the most, that were the most fitting to be a king, were the least desiring? 
you know you got a good leader. When they're the most deserving, but they don't want the power. <laughs> That's a great, great, great point. Remember the way Jesus led when he came in flesh on our earth? Did he come to lord over and to be demanding his way? Or did he say stuff like, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. That's a good leader. Amen. The ultimate leader. What about Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, do you remember he said, he said to those believers, he said, listen, it's not that we want to lord over you. We don't. We don't want to lord over you. We want to work with you and be helpers of your joy. We want to partner with you. We want to facilitate you to fall in love and to serve Jesus. You see, good leaders don't desire submission. They don't desire all that power for power's sake. You got to remember that. Jotham's up there going, listen, these guy, this, this guy right here, he's a bramble. He doesn't produce any fruit and he wants it more than those other ones for a reason. He's power hungry. So he continues and gives him a curse. And this is Jotham. He's still up on the mountain. A few more verses. He tells him a little story, and I think those are the points that he's talking about. It's like, you picked the wrong leader. You leaders of Shechem, you picked a bramble. But he goes further, and he lets him have it. And I like Jotham for this. Listen to verse 16. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dwelt, dealt with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done to him and his deeds as the way he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative, if you then have acted in good faith and in integrity with Jerubbabel and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. Oh, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because Abimelech, his brother. Ooh, the curse of Jotham. Did anybody else like that? Oh, I just love it. He stands up. The little brother of all the brothers that were slain doing the honorable thing, telling them a story. They picked the wrong leader, but then just saying, listen, I really like, listen to me so that you can hear God. He's God's spokesman. This whole thing up to this point is nothing but a sham. Is it not? An illegitimate son, illegitimately made a king over false pretenses, and he killed his family. He's saying, enough. Here's the truth, and if you need to listen to this so you can hear God in this truth, listen to me now. And he lays it down on him. He says, if you did right, enjoy each other. If you didn't, your evil is gonna devour their evil and back and forth. 
And it sets up the rest of this chapter perfectly because the rest of this chapter is nothing more than Jotham's curse becoming reality. And there's a reality here that we will reap what we sow in this life or the next. God will not be mocked. And Jotham is just laying it down. So we move on here. We start in verse 22 with nothing more than God's divine judgment teaching us again in a narrative that you be careful what you do because God is a righteous judge and he will set things right in this world or the next. Check it out in verse 22. Might surprise you, these next two verses. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. A God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come and their blood might be laid back on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. And on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. I don't know if you caught it, but this is divine judgment. This is God Almighty both instigating and executing judgment. Did you hear it? Instigating. (laughs) This is the most interesting verse in this whole chapter. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. What? Yeah, God sent an evil spirit. He's the instigator of this. And it tells you why. So that he could be the executioner that the evil would be put back on where it belonged so he could set things right. I don't know if you have trouble looking at God that way, someone who could send an evil spirit between people or allow that, but it's not foreign to the Bible, is it? He spent the same evil spirit, same Hebrew phrase to Saul. Remember when he tried to kill David in 1 Samuel? God sent an evil spirit on Saul. He caused that strife between Saul and David. Remember, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Remember in Job 1 and 2, he allowed Satan to work and and, and tempt and work on Job. Listen, this is not foreign. And if you have trouble with this, we need to remember, I think, the providence of God. And the best definition I can have for the providence of God for me I kind of ripped it off from J. Vernon McGee. It is, an, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, the providence of God is the means by which God uses all things, all things, all of it, whether it's animate or inanimate, seen or unseen, good or evil, he uses it all towards his purposes which means that it always works out how he wants it to. It's the hand inside the glove of human history, the unseen rudder in the ship that steers human events. That's God's providence. So of course he can use evil. He uses it all the time. And we look at an instance like this and you go, ooh. But then a few moves down the road, you go, oh, that's a great move. It's good. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It's like chess. My kids are really good at chess. 
mostly even when they were little, mostly because they had a really good teacher. Their Papa Sergio taught them chess. And I cherished the days when I'd come home from work and see Papa Sergio at the farm table with my sons playing chess. Not watching TV, not doing other. They were playing chess for a long time. And he taught them how to play chess. And one time I said, I'm gonna beat one of my little rats in, in chess. So I challenged one of my kids in chess and I found out right away they were better than me. But I remember watching the moves. I'm like, the dumb move? What are you doing there? A few more clicks, and you heard that fatal word, uh, check. You're like, whoa, check. How'd that happen? See, I didn't understand the move at the time, but it was setting up something bigger. And that's really the providence of God. We don't understand some of this. Yeah, he sent an evil spirit. And if you want to know why, Here's the short answer for you. Because he's God and it's his prerogative to do what he wants to do. That's the short answer of it. And some of it was for some of us today in this room to realize that it's no joke. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. I promise you that. That's not a warning. That's nothing but God's truth from his Bible. In Galatians, it says this, if you sow towards the flesh, you will reap corruption and death. But if you reap spiritual things, you will be given eternal life. You reap what you sow. And that's what he's trying to say here. He sent an evil spirit. And if you noticed it, the leaders and and Bimelech will start separating now. Check it out. In verse 25, verse 20, 25, and the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops. And they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told to Abimelech. And Gaul, new character, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered grapes from their vineyard and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and they ate and they drank and they reveled in Bimelech. Um, translation, they went and got drunk. Okay, they went to the vineyards, they got all their, they, they went and got drunk and started tr talking trash about Abimelech. And Gaul, the son of Ebed said, who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel? And is not Zebel his officer? We should serve the men of Hamar, the father of Shechem, but we should not serve him. Would that this people were under my hand. If I was in control, he says, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out to me. Oh, I love it. So the evil spirit starts, they're starting to have a little bit of some, some separation. The men who put him in power, now there's something between them. And it starts off with these men of Shechem, the leaders of this city, who put him, Abimelech the king. It starts with them placing <laughs> lawfully, legalizing robbery in the mountains. They're, they're trying to undermine Abimelech. People start getting robbed. The place is a mess. There's confusion, right? They... they, they, they uh, uh, open the door for Gaul. And this is, these verses I entitled, 
evil begets evil. <laughs> Here's the deal. You set up evil things like allowing someone to rob someone and condoning it and encouraging it, right? Just to hurt somebody else. You're going to attract more evil. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So they said, yeah, let's set up some robbers up on the mountains. Let's, let's trash this. Let's make some trouble for Abimelech. Guess what happened? Some robbers and some bad people came and did what they said. And it attracted more bad people. And it attracted this guy, Gaul, who, by the way, had a lot of gall, if you noticed. He got drunk, right? And he challenges Abimelech in front of his henchman, Zebul, right? Evil kind of finds friends. It's one of the problems I have with some things that are going on. I'll just give you one example in our society that in this political realm of we keep legalizing more and more illicit drugs. And, and, and I understand we can have a conversation about the war on drugs not working. From someone who's lost loved ones by illicit drugs, I hate drugs. So I am a little biased. But be that as it may, what do you think is going to happen when you legalize something like that? Do you think maybe, just maybe, that more of it might come in? I don't know. Call me stupid. But I think the more you open up the door, the more will come. You legalize heroin and methamphetamines and whatever else. Guess what? People who like heroin and methamphetamines are going to come here into our communities. I don't like that. Just one example. It's the same thing here. They set up robbers. And guess what? Robbers came. And it brought a problem, Gaul, son of Ebed. And he, he get, went in and got drunk with his men and his relatives, like this crusty clan comes in. They come in and go, we're going to take Abimelech out. If I was in charge, I'd say, bring it on. It was a challenge. But the problem was, the problem was Abimelech's henchman, the ruler of the city, like the mayor of that city, Zebel, he heard. And he didn't like it. And check it out. In verse 30, we'll see what he does. He's going to warn Abimelech that someone's coming for you. Bad's here, and be careful. 30, verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you, the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the fields. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun came up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and his people who are with him come out against you, you may do them as your hand finds fit to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, you mistake. The shadow of the mountains for men. There's no people coming. Gaul spoke again and said, look, there's people coming down from the center of the land. And one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now? <laughs> you who said, who is Ambibelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go now and go fight with them. So Gaul went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded, 
up to the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gaul and his relatives so that they could not dwell in Shechem. <laughs> so Zebul tells him, tips off, tips off Abimelech. He sets an ambush. As he's coming down the mountain to ambush him, he's like, hey, Zebul, there's people coming. He's like, what are you talking about? There's nobody coming. You need to see your eye doctor. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? And then it, and they keep coming. And he says, no, really, there's people. And then uh, I like the mic dropping. You know, it's like, it's almost like um, Zebul like rehearsed this. See now, <laughs> where's your mouth now, right? He's like, where's your trash talking now? Where is it now? Now you're all tough, why don't you go fight him? And he did, and Gaul got run out of town. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I think also uh, evil begets evil, but here's another rule about evil people hanging out, is they really have no fellowship. <laughs> they have no code of contact because they lack character anyways. <laughs> So they always turn on each other. Watch any mobster movie. Watch anything. All the crooks, they'll all kill each other. If they were good people, they probably wouldn't be crooks. Just FYI. So there's a code. They, they break their own code, and they end up hooping each other, right? And that's kind of what happened here. There is no fellowship. There's no cohesion. There's no code of contact. Evil mostly destroys evil. So we see... That happening here, Zebul drives out Gaul, so now we're left with Abimelech, still the king, didn't get overthrown by this other bad guy, right? He's still there. Check what he does right after this. The next day, and it proves that ambition is thirsty. Man, it is thirsty. You never can quench evil ambition. There always needs to be more. Check it out. On the following day, the bad guy's gone, FYI. Gaul's gone. The challenger dispatched. The next day, the people went out into the field. Like, like people who had nothing to do with Gaul. The people of Shechem. The pawns in the game of life. People like you and I, just going about our business. They went out and worked the fields. Well, Abimelech took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. And Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. He killed the civilians of Shechem. Just a bad dude. These guys had nothing, probably nothing to do with Gaul. They were just out. They went to work the next day and they got ambushed. He captured the city, Abimelech did, in verse 45, and killed the people who were in it and raised the city and sowed it with salt. Just, just ruined, killed everybody and ruined the city. It would no longer, not longer be fertile. Verse 46, when all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elberith. And Bimelech was told that all the leaders were in the tower, were all gathered together there. So Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman. He went with all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an ax in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder and said to all the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do yourself. 
So every one of the people cut down his bundle and followed Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about 1,000 men and women. Brutal. He just trashes the whole city. The leaders and the important people, all the royalty went to the tower. He went up and cut wood and had his, his men cut wood. They started a fire at the tower and they all died. And I don't know if any of you guys caught the realization of Jotham's curse, but half of it just got fulfilled, right? Do you remember back on the curse? It said, if you did something that wasn't right, which you did, you are going to burn you. The men of Shechem are going to burn Joth- are going to burn Abimelech, and Abimelech's going to burn you. Half of it fulfilled, done. The men of Shechem, the people who gave them the money out of the temple, complicit his support system to go murder 70 people, it came back on them right there. It's thirsty. Ambition is thirsty. And God's judgment was divine by devouring these people at the hands of evil. Evil just devoured evil. Amen? It came back on them. Check out the next few verses as we finish up here. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. And listen, I, I tried. I read everybody on this. I don't know. There's no record of Thebes doing anything wrong. I don't know. I don't know why he attacked Thebes. Maybe I missed this, but he went to the next city and encamped against Thebes and captured it. He's just thirsty. He's a tyrant. He's an oppressor. But there was a strong tower within that city. And all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to that tower and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And I'll bet you'll, you'll understand what Abimelech does, right? And Abimelech comes to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He's going back to the well. He knows what to do, right? He just trashed Shechem's tower by burning it down. Why not do it again? Well, as we'll see, he went to the well one too many times. Because as he was at that door looking to burn it, verse 53, a certain woman threw an upper millstone (laughs) on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to a young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say to me, a woman has killed me. What? The king finally got crowned, amen? (laughs) He got crowned king by a woman. Amen. Power to the woman. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everybody departed and went home. (laughs) What in the world? Now, I know we're not supposed to, like, rejoice when people get punished or get, like, judged. But I like this. There's just something when you see a villain get his up and comings, right? There's something satisfying when we see injustice and evil be done against people, and we can see it with our own eyes being repaid. There's something about when you let God do that that's like, oh, 
we're all safe now. There is a God. (laughs) Evil will be repaid. The frustrating part in real life is when you don't see it, that you have to trust that vengeance is his and someday he'll make it right. But this, this this is easy. When Ambivalent gets crowned king, the self-appointed, narcissistic, liar, evil murderer gets his comeuppance, I think it's okay to smile. Now, in case you were wondering, the last two verses just reiterate that this is God's divine judgment. This is him getting what he sowed. This is the harvest of his evil. Verse 56, thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. I'm thankful that Jotham was the mouthpiece of God's judgment and warned them and cursed them. He stood up and was counted and spoke truth in the midst of a lying, evil oppressor of Israel. Amen? Now listen, reaping what you're sowing is a great principle to remember. But there's another side to it than what Abimelech experienced, right? Instead of evil and oppressing, the first few verses of our next chapter, there's some good people. There's good judges, not oppressors, but deliverers who treat people, they defend the weak, and they they care for people. They deliver them out of the hands of oppressors. They're sowing into spiritual things, the kingdom of God. They're doing good things. They're treating God's people with loving kindness. Remember, that's what got us into this cycle, right? I don't know when the history, I don't know when the leaders of history will figure this out. When you touch the apple of God's eye, you're gonna get it. That's what history proves. I don't know when they'll learn. You can do whatever you want. God's chosen people are his apple of his eye. They're precious to him. And hands off, hands off. He may send an oppressor a time and time again to get their attention. He may, in his righteous, divine judgment, punish them in certain ways, but that's for him. You touch God's people, and you're going to feel it. Amen? That makes me feel pretty good, because I'm a God's people. You a God's people? Yeah, hands off. God's in charge of us, and he will repay in his due time. Amen? There's another side to this I want us to think about and we're going to get it the next few chapters of, in fact, the next two verses of our, I think the first five, ten verses of the next chapter is, is, is goodness, of, of deliverance, right? Let's, let's, let's reap some of that that we're sowing. So, Father, thank you for Judges chapter nine. What a, what a narrative. Um, I pray that we would all be careful with, with overheated ambition, I pray that we would each remember that you will not be mocked, Father. We, we will reap what we sow. I pray that we would invest in the kingdom, that we would 
we would sow into spiritual things so that we could reap eternal life, a quality of life today that's far out of this world. It's supernatural. It's the life you imparted to us. So I pray that we would live in that today. Thank you for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys.